We'll be continuing with our series in the book of Ezra. This will be the, the second last sermon on this book of the Bible. Ezra chapter 9. And before we read, just to remind ourselves where we are in the history of God's people. This text of the scripture is dealing with the second return of the exiles from captivity. The first return, which was spoken about at the beginning of this book of Ezra, was under Zerubbabel long before Ezra came back into the land. Under that first return from exile, the temple is rebuilt. The temple is finished being rebuilt around the year 516 BC. And now under the second return around the year 458 BC. This is about 80 years after the first return. 80 years. It is quite a span of time being dealt with in this book. 80 years since the first return. And they've been brought home from Babylon to Jerusalem. And as we read this text of scripture, may we think of this. What were they meant to be? These people being brought out, delivered from slavery, delivered from bondage. What were they meant to be? Would they be that holy people that they were meant to be? Would they be a people set apart? So, Ezra chapter 9, let us hear God's holy word. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations. From the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites and the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians and the Amorites, for they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and the chief men have been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and I pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel, because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles, gathered round me, while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice I arose from my fasting, with my garment and my cloak torn, and fell upon my knees, And spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. For the days of our fathers to this day, We have been in great guilt, and for our iniquities, we are kings, and our priests have been given in to the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword 
to captivity, to plunder, to plundering and to utter shame as it is today. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery for we are slaves yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving to set up the house of our God to repair its ruins to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem and now O our God What shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying the land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure, with the impurity of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land, and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved, and have given us such a remnant as this, Shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor any to escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped. As it is today, behold, we are before you in our guilt. For none can stand before you because of this. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. So our text again for this this morning is Ezra chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at Ezra chapter 9 under this heading. To be set apart. To be set apart. This text speaks of marriages, and I think we all know what a wedding dress looks like. They are special white dresses to be worn on a very special occasion for a very special day. What if you saw someone walking through Kalibaki? village this morning wearing a wedding dress or perhaps you're in the middle of Kolibaki having a coffee at the coffee shop and you see somebody pouring your coffee out and they're wearing a wedding dress would you think that was normal probably not a little bit unusual if it did happen and why is that unusual the wedding dress is to be worn on a very special occasion And it's to be worn on that special occasion only. It is set apart 
for a special and particular use. Any other use of that dress would stand out and look a bit strange. You might get strange looks if anybody ever did it. But what about the Christian? What about the Christian, the believer in Jesus Christ? Is there a role or a purpose for us being here? Notice how I say that. Is there a purpose or a role for us still being here? There's still air in our lungs. Our heart is still beating. We are still alive. The Lord has not brought us home. Why are we here? We're not just here to count down time until eternity brings us home. Have we been set apart for a purpose? Have we been set apart to be holy? If we are not that, will we not stand out? Will we not look odd because we are not what we are meant to be? Now, having said the word odd, yes, this world has many different views of what a Christian ought to be. Many of them wrong. But I dare say this. When so, if you do sin in front of the world, what will they often think? I thought you were a Christian. The world even knows or has an idea of what a Christian is meant to be. Even the world often expects us to be set apart. To be holy. In our text that we're going to look at here this morning. The returning exiles delivered from bondage in Babylon to freedom in Jerusalem. Do they know what purpose They have been delivered for. Do they see this? It's not just a change of their address. It's not just to have their best life now. In many ways it's going to be more of a challenge. For them to live in this land. This is a a land devastated. Compared and probably not as comfortable as their land. Or as their life was in Persia or Babylon. They were to be a people set apart, a holy people, a people who follow their God. May this message here this morning, dear friends, speak to all of our hearts that we too see that we also are set apart for a special use, for a special purpose. We're going to look at this text this morning under these headings. We're going to look at number one, set Apart seed. Number two, set apart sorrow. Three, set apart seeking. And then lastly, set apart salvation. Number one, set apart seed. Set apart seed. Verses one and two of our text. When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, The people of Israel... And the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands." Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers have been foremost in this trespass. Set apart seed. 
A major theme in Ezra chapter 9, and when, when we get to it, Ezra chapter 10, is the theme of marriage and of God's people taking foreign wives, taking, taking people who do not believe in God in marriage. Now, we also have to point out, while this is a major theme, it's not the only theme. It's not the, even the central theme here in these chapters. But one thing we have to realize before we talk about foreign wives is this is not talking about skin color. It's not talking about ethnic background or anything else like that. We have to remember at this time, only Israel, or Judah as it was here, followed God. They were the only nation on the earth at that time that said Jehovah, the Lord God of heaven and earth, was their God. But the other nations, every single last one of them, followed their own particular God or gods. This is the context we find ourselves in here. Even when you read through the Psalms, and you look at the, there's a Hebrew word that is translated. It can be translated heathen, unbeliever. It can be translated Gentiles. It can be translated nations. It's really the same thing. When, when the psalmist writes of the nations, he's talking about all the unbelieving people outside of the visible church. The nations were unbelievers. They were of the seed of the serpent. Not of the seed of the woman. And that reminds us of Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your seed and her seed. Your seed referring to the seed of the serpent. And her seed the seed of the woman. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15. We have two seeds from the very beginning. Right after the fall of man. After the fall of Adam. We also have to ask ourselves this. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Yes, it is commanded to not marry unbelievers. It is commanded to only marry in the New Testament era in the Lord. But, you know, sometimes you think, is that so bad yes it is commanded but why is it so serious sometimes in scripture we don't exactly know why God commands something we just have to trust him because he is wiser than we are and his ways are higher than our ways we just know we should trust that God's ways are right but we do have examples in the Bible of people who do marry Unbelievers, the holy seed being mixed with those who are not. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, it talks, gives an early example of what happened here. The sons of God, those who were born of God, saw the daughters of men or the daughters of Adam, that they were beautiful and took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Until that point, there were two seeds. And at that point, these two seeds married with each other. And holy, the holy married the unholy. Things then fell apart. There was violence, destruction, and chaos. 
There was, in those days before the fall, or sorry, not before the fall, before the flood, there were giants. It says in Genesis 6, 4. There were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men of old, men of renown. And sometimes the way it's phrased, we might lose the significance of this. One of the older translations, the Geneva translation, put a little note in the footnote. It's talked about the giants, tyrants. Tyrants. These were huge men who were basically bullies. And they, they were men of old, powerful men of renown. There was violence. There was destruction. And if you take anything away from that time period, it is this. Things fell apart. And they fell apart really quickly. Mixed marriages, whatever term we want to use, they have consequences. What happens to the children of mixed marriages often, generally, and I say generally, there are wonderful exceptions, follow the way of the world. God is merciful though. But many go the way of the world. Foreign wives even led Solomon. And who is wiser than Solomon? We think in the Old Testament. For it was so, it says in 1 Kings 11.4. For it was so when Solomon was old. That his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father, David. Even Solomon was led away. That is the effect of this. And God commands us to be a seed set apart. And he doesn't do so to keep something good back from us. He does it for our good. It's to keep us from disaster. The seed of the serpent, the servant of their God. You may have, you know, may know nice people, nice neighbors, but unless they bow to Christ, they serve another God. And I must address, as we're dealing with this topic here, the young people, perhaps people unmarried. And it can be difficult at times at various different stages, but we must not entertain the idea. Of marrying someone who is not a believer. It is not wise. And it will. Yes, you may know some wonderful exceptions where it has gone well. But it has been commanded that you only marry in the Lord. What, dear friends, do you have in common with somebody who doesn't know Christ? You don't have the most important thing in common. In that marriage. Christ. Share the gospel with that person. Pray for them. Yes. Love them in any way you can. But do not marry them. Anyone who believes in another God. And anyone who believes in another gospel. That includes. The liberal Protestant who rejects the Bible. They may say they believe in God, but if they don't accept the Bible, 
This is another seed. The Roman Catholic who rejects the gospel of grace alone by faith alone. Or in fact the atheist. But if you're currently married to a person who is an unbeliever. And if they are happy to remain with you. Remain with them. Love that person. You may have been saved in in the middle of your marriage. The Lord can use you dear friend to reach your spouse. And I've seen many wonderful examples of such cases. Be the best Christian you can be. Be the best witness you can be. Love your spouse. Love that person. Show them the love of Christ. Show them how much you have changed. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 12. But to the rest, not the Lord say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe, if she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are Holy, there is great hope, dear friends. I don't want to say that that person will necessarily come to the Lord, but there's great hope. Love that person. Our second point here this morning is set apart sorrow. Set apart sorrow. Verses 4 to 6. Then anyone who trembled... At the words of the God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgressions of those who have been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice I arose from my fasting. Having torn my garment and my robe and I fell on my knees and spread, spread out my hands to the Lord my God and said, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated. To lift up my face to you, my God. Some might look at what we just said in our previous point as, well, we, we, you can't marry an unbeliever. Do you think you're better than they are? By no means. By no means. It's not the case at all. But we serve a different master. And because we serve a different master... We serve a master who is wonderful, kind, and loving. It brings us great sorrow, heartbreak to see sin. It brings us great heartbreak in our hearts to see the sin of the world. But dear friends, even more so the sin of the church. It brings us great sorrow to see what it does to others Because sin kills. It brings death. In verse 6 it says this. And I've tried to read this a few times during the week. And I've struggled every single time. But. And I said oh my God I am too ashamed. And humiliated. To lift on my face to you my God. 
For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. There's great sorrow for the direction of our nation. And there's an anguish in my heart for the rapid decline that we see in these islands. Sin brings those set apart great sorrow as it brought Ezra here. The closer to home in our hearts, the more it grieves. But dear friends, the greater the wounds of the world, the greater the healing that there is in Christ. We cannot expect to drift through this life without sorrow. It's not that we look for it, but we can't avoid it. To run away from sorrow is often, so often, a running away from service. In verse 3, it says this at the beginning. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe and I plucked out some of my hair. There's just absolute anguish in Ezra. He's in pieces. He's not doing this for effect. But he is in anguish. It's not that we try to destroy ourselves, but we do not avoid suffering to the point that we look for short and easy answers. If we close our eyes to the problem, if Ezra said, I'm not going to see the problems here, don't want to know about it. And in leadership, that is one of the easiest things to do. But when we open our eyes to it, it is hard to look at. The devil's chessboard is this world. That's what Thomas Manton said. The devil's chessboard. And if we look at the reality of things, and we look at the the state of our nation, it will make you ill. Our nation thinks very little of life, as we've seen in recent votes on abortion and other things while claiming at the same time to want to save lives. Our nation thinks nothing of God's created order, denying more and more in various different ways, male and female. There are some exceptions, of course, but not many. Our nation has redefined marriage. Our nation, like others, engages in what is often called virtue signaling. And virtue signaling is this, It would rather look virtuous than actually be virtuous. This should fill us with sorrow because it's utter hypocrisy. Our nation, and as covenanters, dear friends, as believers in Christ, crown and covenant, that banner that we have over our churches, we we know or we should know that this nation, these islands, 
is reaping the rewards or reaping the sad consequences of hundreds of years of covenant breaking. In 1643, the Solemnly in Covenant was signed by representatives of church and state and the governments of, the island, of these islands at the time in Scotland, England, and Ireland. People of every strata of society, people in government, people in the church. And this is part of what they swore to do. That we, would, that we shall sincerely, really, and constantly, through the grace of God, in, endeavor in several places, callings, the preservation of the Reformed religion in the Church of Scotland in doctrine, worship, discipline, government against our common enemies. Another part of it says, according to the word of God and according to the best Reformed churches and shall endeavor to bring the churches of God in the three kingdoms to the nearest conjunction and uniformity in religion. And you don't need to look really far. We have failed. We have failed utterly. These islands not too long afterwards broke away from this agreement. And for Ezra as the believer this brings us sorrow. And it should. We can't be indifferent to the state of our nation. Because we're not going to pray dear friends. We're not going to weep dear friends before God. It's not that we seek delight in the destruction of our nation. It brings us sorrow. But we seek delight in our God. We seek delight in the world to come. So set apart sorrow. Number three now. Set apart seeking. Set apart seeking. Verse eight. Verse eight. And now... For a little while grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy. He extended mercy. And just as we need to see the reality, we must come to God seeing who He is. Ezra is crying out to God in prayer, stating who He is, what He has done. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Ezra sees who his God is, and he seeks Him. In prayer. He's seeking him. He has. Our God has left a remnant to escape. And we don't deserve that. Not the least. He saves his people. Who are here at this time. And the only reason that they are there at all. Is because of God. Not because of anything they did. Not because they were in some way. Clever to escape from the Persian Empire. The only reason they were there, dear friends, the only reason they were they were escaped out of slavery, the only reason mercy was shown to them, steadfast love, was because of God. And dear friends, here this morning, as we think about being set apart, are you seeking him? For who he is? 
Not who we imagine him to be, but as he's revealed in the scriptures. Seeking him. Because dear friends, when we, when we pray, we have to pray towards him as the God he has been revealed as. Mighty, majestic, glorious. That is the God we will, we will tremble before. But we will not tremble before God of our imagination. Why would we? He is the one made with our, our hands. We are to seek him. Not seeking our own glory. Not seeking our own glory. We do not matter in comparison with him. But waiting for the glorification in heaven. If we seek his glory here. He will glorify us. In the future. His glory here and now. Without seeing how glorious he is. We will not seek him. We will not seek him. Without seeing he is the source of all that is good in our lives. We will not seek him. That was one of the things that broke me. The night I got saved. God was the source of all that was good in my life. And I turned from him. Ezra seeks God. The source of all their blessing. Any blessing that they have until this point is because of him. And what have they done? They have turned from his commandment. They have not sought him. They have created the problem, but they cannot solve that problem themselves. The problem today, dear friends, in our country, that we have created, we ourselves cannot solve. You would know that. If you talk to many people, we cannot solve it. Our problem today, dear friends, is nothing that the media is reporting on. It's sin. It's sin. It's primarily how we view God. Nothing else. Dear friends, our problem in our nation today and the nations around the world is not a virus. It's, a, it's sin. And we need the solution to our nation's problem through prayer. And prayer needs to be the first port of call, not last resort. It needs to be our default position. Default not last resort. I do not deny the use of means in the Lord's providence, but our society has placed all of its hope on these means. And we have to realize that. You turn on the news for more than five minutes. Our great hope is medicine. And medicine is a wonderful thing. Praise God for it. But I tell you, dear friends, if we abuse it, if we're not thankful to God for it, he will take it away, I believe. Right now we have wicked rulers in our nation. John Calvin said this, when God wants to judge a nation, he gives them wicked rulers. 
Our nation needs to seek God or we are headed for destruction. It doesn't matter what happens to the economy. It doesn't matter what happens to the vaccine roll. It doesn't matter about all those things. If we don't seek God as a nation, we are on the path to destruction. It's only in the healing balm of Christ that our nation has any hope in verse 9. It says, As for we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. If we want our ruins to be rebuilt, strengthened and and fortified, it, it must be by God. Jesus, the great physician. If we're sick, Yes, we go to the hospital. Yes, we do all these things. But prayer is the most important thing. He heals. He heals miraculously many times. So set apart seeking. Now we're going to look at set apart salvation. Set apart salvation. For the ones who seek God, who come to Him, seeing who He is... There is mercy. If you see who he is, if you come to him in faith, there is great mercy. There is reconciliation. There is, as Hebrews and other places writes about, propitiation. The wrath of God is appeased, turned away from you, dear friends. There is restoration in Christ. Verse 9 of our text again, for we were slaves Yet God did not forsake us in our bondage. We were slaves. There was, there was nothing desirable in us. There wasn't like, oh, these people are more amazing than anybody else. No, no. He took pity on us, set us free. Acts 15, 15 says this, And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written after this, I will return and we re- rebuild the tabernacle of David. Which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. And I will set it up. So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Says the Lord who does all these things. It is God who does all these things. Our, the restoration of our nation must come through revival. There's no other hope. There are many slaves of sin who need to be set free. We'll look back at the pages of history with horror sometimes. The horror stories of slavery and other things like that. But there's plenty of people who are slaves in our province who need to be set free. And the shackles can be removed only in Christ. They serve their sin. They love their sin. They... And it's so unusual because sin is a cruel and oppressive taskmaster. And we look at it, why why would they be so silly to love their sin? It doesn't make any sense. But they love it. And until they're set free, they will continue to love it. I think one of the benefits, and this may seem strange to say this, one of the benefits of the change in our world 
we can say we live in unusual times the last two years. But the last 50, peace, relatively few wars in most parts of the world, that is unusual. That is unusual. And we can think that the world is not what it actually is. Fallen, corrupt and sinful. And largely, the leaders who do not bow the knee to Christ are largely not to be trusted. But one of the benefits, it can be scary in certain contexts, but of the changes in our world... As we see growing cruelty in many nations across the world. The mask of sin is removed. We, we don't see it like the Chinese Christians see it. Let's, we, let's not exaggerate here. Or the, the persecution that they have in Iran or Pakistan or North Korea or anywhere else like that. But the more we see oppression and other things like this in our own world. The more we see cruel and dehumanizing measures, the more we see also an illustration of what sin does. It is a cruel and oppressive taskmaster. It promises much, but delivers little. It is presented, sin comes, it comes as caring, it cares for your best interests. And the interests of your neighbor. But sin like Satan comes as an angel of light. Promising much as a cruel taskmaster. It, it promises come submit to the sin. And we will give you relief. It doesn't sin promise that. It promises relief from whatever temptation that's yearning at you. It, it says come to me and I will give you rest. And it never does. It never does. It lies. Just submit to me, says sin, and you will have relief from pain, from misery, from slavery. I will take care of you. This is what the devil promises. It promises you freedom, but gives you bondage. Submit to me, sin says, and you will be free. But we as Christians in Jesus Christ, who have been set free by the gospel, we know. <laughs> Don't we know? Then the more you sin, the more you are a slave. To that sin. Much like the nations in the world today. Think of the oppression in ancient Egypt. God's people cried out. Under their cruel. And oppressive taskmasters. But he did not forsake them. In their bondage. He did not forsake God's people here. In the bondage they experience in Persia. And he does not forsake us. In the oppression we face. Whatever we will face in the future. But we must trust in Jesus. No matter how, how hard things get. And we must follow him. Trusting. Verse 13 of our text. And after all that has come upon us. For our evil deeds. And for our great guilt. Since you our God have punished us. Less than our iniquities deserved. And have given us such deliverance as this. We might not look at that as encouraging dear friends. But we, no matter how much we go through. No matter how much pain we, we suffer in this world. It's less than our iniquities deserve. And we are delivered from the wrath to come. 
There's consequences in this world for sin. But if we're in Jesus Christ, we'll never face that eternal death. The wrath of God. Sin lies in its leads. It gives false threats of what will happen if it doesn't listen, if you don't listen to it. But we have our God, our Savior, who never lies to us. He never misleads us. He never brings us empty threats to make us needlessly fearful. He gives us the truth. He lovingly warns. He lovingly nourishes. He lovingly delivers. Even though we do not deserve it. Do we see that here, dear friends, this morning? We do not deserve it. We do not deserve the least of God's mercies. Verse 15, O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous. For we are left as a remnant, as it is this day. Here we are before you in our guilt. And no one can stand before you because of this. But we can stand before our God, can we? Can we not? Because of Christ. Because of Christ, we can stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, clothed in righteousness, washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And you, dear friends, have been set apart. And if you've been set apart, you've been set apart for a purpose. You're not gone home to glory yet. You will. But you're not there yet. Serve Him while you're here. Don't think. Well, as soon as we get through these difficulties in the next few months, the next year, then I will go back to serving him. Don't think like that, dear friends. You have been set apart for service to follow our God. The issue of marriage is brought up here. And it shows us what it looks like when God's people go away from God. But to be set apart, dear friends, it means this. Yes, it includes how we, who we marry and our, our marriages and our lives and other things. But we are to live differently. We are to marry, you could say, differently. How we feel about sin is different. Whom we seek in times of trouble is different. Who we trust in times of trouble is different. We have an infallible source of wisdom. In the truth. In him. Is, in Christ. Is deliverance found. Only in him. Dear friends are you set apart? Can your neighbors see it? That you're set apart? Do you stand out? Maybe not the way they want you to stand out. But do you stand out? Not perfectly of course. But you stand out. Because you're different. Because of Christ and the work he has done in your life. Amen.